understand. And uh, I, um, I think it's been a couple of months, maybe somebody help me, I think it's been a couple of months now since I shared the book, uh, uh, The Simplest Way to Change the World, it feels like a couple of months ago. And um, I, uh, after, after I, I actually had listened to that book on audio, um, most stuff that you listen to is audio. I had listened to that book, and I just felt like, you know what, I, I, I want to just read it. I want to, for a couple of reasons, and, and so I got it, and the week, of, uh, the week of camp, it's a practice of mine to go to camp with the kids and try to be around some and be in some services and stuff, but so in my downtime, I was using it to uh, read through uh, that book. And, and in the course of reading, there was a verse that was mentioned, and uh, as has happened numerous times, and I hope and pray continues to happen, it just, it jumped out at me. And so, um, I don't know if tonight will be a kind of a one-time thing, or I feel like it might be the start of something for a couple of weeks here, but we'll just see where the Lord ends up taking us. So, First Thessalonians 2. We're going to start reading with verse number 5. For neither at any time, and I'm going to read these verses from another translation. I'm sure you would expect that in a moment. And uh, it's kind of interesting to hear them in a, in a, little, more pl- in a little plainer way than, than the King James says it here. But For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Father, thank you for this opportunity once again to join together, to worship, to make ourselves open and available to your word, to the seed of your word, the ministry of your word, the equipping, God, that we might grow and mature more and more as individuals and as a body into becoming who it is you would have us to be, that we might fulfill the work of the ministry you've called each one of us to individually. I pray that your spirit would minister, would speak to us tonight, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that are open to receive what you would desire to say to us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. The Living Bible says it this way. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you very well know. And God knows we were not just pretending to be your friends so that you would give us money. As for praise, we never, we've never asked for it from you or anyone else. Although as apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to some honor from you. It's kind of interesting. He said, we weren't... We weren't fishing for praise and honor and respect, but we had a right to. 
But we were as gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We were as gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. This is the guy who was shipwrecked. This is the guy who had his back beaten. This is the guy who spent nights in prison. This is the guy that went through some stuff. And he's saying, we, we treated you as kindly, as gently as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And so it's, I just kind of read through the King James and I didn't point it out, but it's this next verse that really caught my attention. We loved you dearly, so dearly, that we gave not only God's message, but our own lives too. Read the, now let me read the King James again, that verse. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have, to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. The Passion Translation says it this way, verse 7, Even though we could have imposed upon you our demands as apostles of Christ, instead we showed you kindness and were gentle among you. We cared for you in the same way a nursing mother cares for her own children. With a mother's love and affection and attachment to you, we were very happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become so dear to us. The footnote there says you, have, you had become our beloved. Just a few months before, the Thessalonians were complete strangers to Paul. Now he states how dear they had become to his heart. True ministry is caring for others with a father's love and a mother's love, not exerting control or abusive authority over those who we serve. And then lastly, the Amplified Bible says it this way, So being, so, being thus tenderly and affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we continue to share with you not only God's good news, the gospel, but also our own lives as well, for you had become so very dear to us. You, you notice there how he's, he makes a, a distinction between we were willing to share the gospel, but, but we also are willing to go a step further. What Paul is... To me, if you read this in a kind of different way, what Paul is saying is you can share the gospel without sharing your life. You can go around spreading the good news of the gospel, but not giving yourself. He said, but we're not only willing to give you the gospel, we're not only to tell you the message of the good news, we're willing to give ourselves also. There's a lot of people that are willing to share the gospel, but you ain't getting me. I'm talking about saved folks. I'm not talking about the sinner. I'm happy to give you my words, but I'm not... 
Paul said, we're not just good with sharing the gospel. And obviously there, there is an element, I think there's an element of love and compassion by simply sharing the gospel. But Paul says, we, we love you so much. We were so affectionately desirous of you that we're not here to just give you the gospel. We want to give you ourselves as well. I, I just hold that there for a moment because we're, we're going we're gonna to take the uh, service road for a moment and then get back on the highway. As I was reading through a couple of weeks ago, when I read through the majority of the book and finished it up once I'd gotten home, this thought occurred to me. We were commissioned to spread the gospel, not the plan of salvation. Let that sink in for a moment. The commission was to share the gospel. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the plan of salvation to every creature. Brother Wright, are you saying the plan of salvation is not important? Absolutely I'm not saying that. But we spend more time preaching the plan of salvation than we do the gospel. And Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the the gospel to every creature. How about this? The end of the book of Acts. This is the last chapter, the last couple of verses of the book of Acts. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those that which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. You say, well, Brother Wright, those verses didn't say the gospel. Well, if you go back to verse to Matthew 24, 14, it says the gospel of the kingdom. Paul spent his time preaching the kingdom of God. You say, well, what's the difference in preaching the gospel and preaching the plan of salvation? I believe if we're not careful, we preach the plan of salvation and we, call, we cause some spiritual preemies to be born. I, I appreciate people getting baptized and getting the Holy Ghost on the street spur of the moment. But I'm going to tell you this, my observation through the years is a lot of them don't last. He said, preach the gospel. What does the word gospel mean in its basic definition? The good news. What does Paul define the gospel as? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good, the gospel is the good news. What's the good news? 
The good news is, if you're a sinner, you can be saved. You can have your sins washed away. The good news is, if you're broken, the power of the gospel is God can heal you. God can restore you if you've got addiction. The good news is there is a power to be able to to deliver you from that. And the gospel is what provides the power, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news because that's what provides. All of that other stuff. What about the plan of salvation? Well, that's how we get into the kingdom, yes. But before that, he said, he told John, except a man be born again, he cannot what? Enter the kingdom. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. But he references the kingdom. The plan of salvation is the way we get in the kingdom. But Jesus didn't tell us, run around telling everybody the plan of salvation. I heard a, I heard a, I watched a clip on, I think it was on Instagram a day or two ago. And this preacher was, he was talking about the fact, you know, if you go around opening up people's mail and reading it, it's a crime. Right? I guess it's a federal crime, I think. And when he, when he first started, I had no idea where he was going with that statement. Then he, then he said, I'm sick and tired of all these people running around opening mail that doesn't belong to them because the Bible's not for everybody. In the context, it's talking to those whose name is on the mail. He said, he used Romans 8.28, he said, everything doesn't work together for everybody. It works according, it works for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So I just, I want to, I want to, this is, I just, I, I don't know, this has been churning in me for a couple of weeks and, and I just felt led to insert here at this point. Because some of you want to run around preaching the plan of salvation all the time to everybody. Do we need the plan of salvation? Absolutely. But you start with the good news. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, well that's the good news. What do I do? Glad you asked. Let me tell you what the plan of salvation is. It's associating with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We do that through repentance. We do that through baptism. We do that through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We, we, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more getting more convinced more than ever. We've got to trust the power of the seed and give it time to work. Let it work. Stop trying to get notches on your spiritual gun. Got another one. Pray to know how many souls have you won. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase. So, so, the good news. We ought to be willing to tell the good news. We ought to be looking for any opportunity to share the good news. 
Paul says, we, 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 we love you dearly, so dearly, that we, we gave you God's message. But we didn't just stop with giving you God's message. We're willing to give ourselves to. I think if we're not careful, we can find a place in ministry where we're willing to do so much, but we haven't fully given ourselves. You can do that first part without it really costing you anything. You can't do that next part without it, and it not cost you. You can can tell everybody the good news, but still keep yourself reserved. Paul said, we're not just telling you the good news, we're giving ourselves. Let me me say it this way, if we're not careful, we can come to church three times a week and that can be that first part. Oh, I come to church, I do my deal, but eh. I'm keeping myself to myself. I, I am so desperate, hungry, desirous. And I, I believe we're progressing. I believe in, since we've become a congregation, there's been a lot of growth and maturing and developing. There, there's been numerical, but that's, that's the least important in this context. I am I is so desperately wanted. I don't mean desperate in a negative sense, but because it's not we're not progressing toward it. I just mean I want to be a part of a group of people that are that are becoming more and more like what scripture says a group of people ought to be like. There's thousands of people that are willing to show up for church once a week and and do that week after week. They're they're willing to. They don't have any problem. But but are they giving themselves? Are they giving their lives? How invested are they in it? How, how, How freely of themselves are they giving? I I hope and pray that this is a place where we don't just tell the gospel message. We're good with telling everybody the gospel. As long as we can maintain control of our lives, our time, our priorities. I know you've all probably heard this one in some form or fashion before, some way or other, but... A pig and a hen sharing the same barnyard heard about a church's program to feed the hungry. The pig and the hen discussed how they could help. The hen said, I've got it. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. The pig thought about the suggestion and said, There's only one thing wrong with your bacon and eggs idea. For you, it only requires a contribution. But for me... It will mean total commitment. I think we could say that there are chickens and eggs, or not eggs, chickens and pigs in this verse. 
chickens are more than willing to share the gospel. I know most of the time we don't want to be pigs. I get that, but give me one moment. Are you, are you willing for it to cost you something? But believe me, I, I don't just because I'm the pastor here, I, I, that doesn't mean I get this all right all the time. I know what it's like at times to figure out a way to do what I need to do, but I'm still kind of keeping some things in reserve for this is my. I don't, I don't, I don't, I hate to tell you all this, I, I, because I, most of you probably don't know this, and I, so I shouldn't tell you this. The only reason most of you are going to know this because I'm telling you. I, I can be a pretty moody person. And one of the things that gets me in a mood is when, when my routine gets messed up. I, I don't know, a couple weeks ago now, I, I was just, ugh, ugh, and all, it dawned on me. I'm not trying to be, a, you know, psychoanalyze everything, but I told my wife, I realized I, I was in about a two or three week at least period where my, my routine was shattered. Everything from my morning routine to everything. Some of y'all, you're great. You, you're okay. Stuff on the fly. and all. I, I'm not. I, there, there's a lot of things I'm happy to do. I'm more than willing to do them as long as I have control of when. And where. And how long. I, I just feel and... and, and and I believe with all the great things God is doing, I just, I feel a stirring. And, and I just, I, I don't know, this is another one of those times where, you know, maybe I'm here with something and you're like, what? I'm not quite sure what you saw about that verse, Pastor. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I just feel like there's a stirring that says, I, I, I want us to, to, to not, just, not just find a convenient, comfortable place of being this nice little church. I, I, I've said it before. I don't know how much I've said it. I think I've said it publicly, but I've said it. I say it uh, every now and then to our deacons and, and ministers' prayer on Sunday mornings. I, I don't remember how long ago it was that my wife started getting up and welcome to the friendliest church in town. That's really great. That really is. That's so cool. But every time she does it, I'm like, oh, God, please let us be the friendliest church in town right now. It's one thing to try to be the friendliest church in town and not tell everybody you're the friendliest church in town. But if you're going to tell everybody the friendliest church in town and then people sit there and nobody comes and greets them, that magnifies it even more. How do, how do we do those things? How, 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 do, how, does a, how does an oikos become something more than just an obligatory thing you're involved in? 
well, I usually go to Sunday night service, and, and, and I'm not, hopefully there's nobody that really feel. I'm just kind of trying to get across my, my hope, my burden. Well, you know, I normally go to Sunday night service, and since we don't have service, we got oil, I'll just go to an oil. There, there ought to be something in us that says, I, I, I don't want to just share the gospel, I want to give of myself. I don't want to just find a, a level of, of activity. I want, to, I want to give of myself. I'm willing for it to, to cost me something. Jesus said, we, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I got a question. How many of you, this, this is not a setup, and so if you're, if you're comfortable affirming it, I'm not, gonna, I'm not about to do anything negative. So if you're willing to, how many of you feel like that, that you, there are people in your life, there's friends, there's family in your life that you would be willing to lay your life down for them in a, in, if, if the situation required? Anybody? Let's put it this way. You'd take a bullet for them. How many of you feel? There's people you'd take a bullet for. You know what? I I don't doubt that. I'm going to be honest with you. I hope I would because we can all sit here in this nice, comfortable little atmosphere and say, I'll take a bullet. Somebody was shooting. I'm going, I got you, man. I I don't know. I might be if they're shooting that way. I got you, Josh. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I don't know about you, I'm just, I'm going to be honest, this may hurt some of you, but I think it might help some of you. I, I don't, some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, you know, Bishop talks about persecution coming one day and we're going to, and you're like, come bring it on, let's go. If y'all are like that, God bless you, I'm sitting up there going, oh, Jesus, please. Because it's real easy sitting here right now in this atmosphere. I hope I would, and I'm trusting that whatever I have to face, grace will be sufficient in the moment. But going back, I I truly believe there are people in this place. There's people in this place right now that if you had a loved one or somebody else in this church that that literally needed a, a kidney and you had to match, you'd be willing to give them your kidney. How amazing is it, though, we all sit here and say that we would be willing in those very momentous moments to lay down our lives one for another. But when faced with very small opportunities to lay down our lives for one another, (laughs) I got plans, sorry, I can't. I I got stuff going on, I... Laying down, I don't, I I realize in the context of what Jesus did, he literally laid his life down. But I don't think that's the only application of what he was saying there. That you and I should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Adjust some things, change some plans if need be, alter some schedules if need be, give up some resources if need be, and lay our lives down for one another. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 12 and 15. 
And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be, the less I be loved. He, he, he very clearly says, I will very gladly spend and be spent. I, I believe the reason why he says that is because there's two levels of things going on here. The first thing he says is, I will very gladly spend. But the point is, whatever he spends, that's his decision. You walk into a store and something there's, there's something there that's an opportunity for you to buy. It's a price tag is there. You decide. If you've got the money for it, you decide whether or not you're willing to spend it or not. And it's commendable that he says, I will spend. But then that second thing takes it to a whole different level. I control what I spend. But when he says, I will be spent, to me what he's saying there is, I don't have control over that part. Some, I, I can decide to spend, but somebody else is going to decide how to spend me. And obviously in this context, I'm talking about God. I'm not talking about letting people walk all over and you abuse y'all. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But letting God... Let me tell you, for some of you, and this probably be more some of the younger people in the room, because I'd be very shocked if some older people in the room are still living under this delusion. Your future is probably not going to hold what you think it's going to hold. And I will narrow that down. You can leave it kind of broad, but I'll narrow that down ministry-wise. We get locked in. Well, we know where God's taking us, what God's going to do, how God's going to use us. And rarely, and even if you have the basic idea of the what, the path to get there, and the where it may end up being is usually not exactly what you think. So it's one thing for us to... To willingly decide, I'm willing to do this. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to be involved in that ministry. I'm I'm willing to give of this this talent, this ability, this resource. I'll I'll give of this money. I'm I'm willing to do these things. But but what about when God says, "All right, you've decided how you want to spend you. Now let me let me spend you." Let me tell you what I want to do. Let me tell you how I want to do it. That's where you're... That, to me, that, that first part there is, hey, I'll, I'll gladly give you the gospel. I'm happy to give you the gospel, but giving you me. Giving you myself. That's a whole different level. Being willing to lay down my life. Most of us, more than likely, will never be called on to, to literally give our lives for someone else. I'm not saying 
None of us ever will. But it's, it's still fairly unlikely that that will happen. But I'm not so sure there's not a day that goes by that God does not bring opportunities along our way for us to lay down our lives for others. So another thing I think is, I guess there's some, from one angle, I guess there's some positiveness to it, but from another angle there's not. And that is that when, when, when saved folks are more willing to lay their lives down for unsaved folks than they are for their brother or their sister. I wonder, I wonder, every, and I'm, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord on this. And there are greater men and women than I that have different opinions and thoughts on this, and theirs may be the right one. But I'm just going to throw it out as some food for thought. I wonder if part of the reason why the church has not seen the harvest that God has promised is going to happen is because the church is not quite where it needs to be. Notice, notice again, notice again. He, he said, let's go back to the King James. He, he says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we, we cared for you so much, we, we loved you so much. You were so dear to us, that's why we were willing to lay our lives down. We, 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 we were as gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children, the living Bible. Is that, is that, can can, can it be said of us that that's the way in which is that the is that the atmosphere that we're we're in and we're we're creating is that the climate we have i i <laughs> I feel like I, I, I've seen this for years, but I feel like in the last several months, I just see it more and more. It is so amazing how quick we are to get upset with people over the very things we do. Somebody talks about you behind your back and you go crazy. Ignoring the fact you're constantly talking about other people behind their back. So I, I wonder. I, the bottom line is this. I'm sorry. You, if you think otherwise, I think you need to read your Bible more. If you think the government's the problem, if you think LGBTQ's the problem, if you think... Hollywood's the problem, whatever else you want to put on the list being the problem, why the church is not where it needs, none of that's the problem. External things have never stopped the church. 
The only thing that's ever slowed the church down is internal stuff. Division, strife, envy, jealousy. That, that's the only thing that's... And I, I didn't say stop because I don't think anything's going to ever fully stop the church. But, but it, that can slow it down. I, 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 I'm... This is one of those things that's kind of on the list to dig into more at some point. How, how many apostles are, were there in the, in the New Testament context of Acts? I'm not talking about Ephesians 4.11. I believe there's apostles today. And, and, and how many were there in Jesus' time? Twelve apostles. But I guarantee you a significant percentage of people in this place could not name all 12. Most of us, if we were asked to name them, we all pretty much would be pretty good with Peter, James, John. Why is that the case? Part of the reason that's the case is because they were kind of the inner circle. I mean, there was... There were several times Jesus took them places, invited them to things that the other nine were not a part of. Right? However, all twelve were apostles. And just because we don't know as much about them as we do the three or four or five, they were no less apostles. What would happen to the church if we ever reached the point where we could truly be content to be who God has called us individually to be? We're, we're, we're too busy. I, it, I don't know about you, maybe this doesn't bother you, but I get so annoyed when I, when I click on a video of and I'm talking about some people that, I, that I'm familiar with. I'm not talking about just random guys. And, you know, they're doing an online broadcast. And the first five to ten minutes, it's, it's, it's all, hit that share button. Hit that share button. Hit that share button. Let's, so you can get the word out there. Hit that share button. Go ahead right now. Just stop right now. Hit that share button so you can get us out. Get, for what? Have you, I, I try, I, I've, I've told you all this before. I don't post, the reason I don't post more on social media is not because I don't have stuff I want to say. It's just, no, I, I need to leave that one alone. Nope, I need to leave that one alone. This is one I really keep close to wanting to do, but I keep, no. Do you think if Jesus had Facebook and Instagram, it'd been full of pictures of himself? I mean, if it was today's world, he'd have, he'd have had them, you know, them five fish. Getting a good, to get the right angle. I don't, I don't understand men of God, supposed men of God, when you scroll through their social media and there's nothing but pictures of themselves. He made himself of no reputation. I wonder if the reason why we do that I think part of the beauty of social media, it just lets us see how many people have insecurities. 
We didn't used to know that until we could post a picture of ourselves. Oh, girl, you looking good. Guys at the gym with their little iPhones set up in the corner. Who cares? You don't even see celebrity athletes in the gym posting themselves. You got people that have insecurities and trying to stroke their ego. Some of this probably in the last few moments, a little bit of flesh, probably. Not all of it. Not all of it. We were never called to make a name for ourselves. I I said a couple of months ago, and it has... I'm not there yet. Every now and then I still feel myself a little bit. But, but I think it was toward the end of last year, God helped me a whole lot when I, when I read more clearly what the Bible says in First or Second Peter when the Lord said, feed the flock that the Lord has made you overseer of. I got caught up in it in 2020 especially Looking at how many views, I mean, that's, that's what's crazy, look at how many views you had. We'd get done with live stream on Sunday mornings from our living room and I'd see a 785 views. Wow, you know, that person might have been for two seconds viewing you. You don't, you don't know what, oh boy, wait. and then you know what happened? Those numbers started dropping and guess what? My confidence started, what in the world? I've been called to feed this flock. And if I never, I'm still, there's still a little bit that still needs to die. I'll be honest with you. There's still a little bit left to die. But if I never go preach any place else the rest of my life, as long as I am faithful to feed the flock that I have been made an overseer of, you do what God has called you to do and leave the results and the promotion and the elevation up to Him. You might be Peter, James, or John, or you might be one of those other guys that nobody ever really knows but are just as much apostles. I will spend and be spent for you. Listen to, listen to Acts 2, 42. This is the, the beginning of the church. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That, 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 that last part of verse 44 had all things common. I think that's another way of saying what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8. They gave their lives. Please hear me. Being faithful to come to church, is. I think that's better than not coming to church. But when all a person does is show up just in time for church and they're gone just as soon as church is done and there's no other interaction and connection with the body, you, you, you are missing out. You're not giving your life. You may be giving the gospel, but you're not giving your life. They had all things common. I, 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 said, this at, uh, I said this at my session at the small group seminar. 
in, in the verse before this, it said they met, you know, they met house to house and in the temple daily, right? Do, 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 you, think that, do you think that the disciples... Do you think the disciples were getting together at the temple every day and assigning people where their houses they were going to? I mean, I, I can see uh, Matthew was a tax collector, so he was probably good administratively. So, so maybe actually it was Matthew's job. Here, I mean, you can, I, I, I can see Peter coming up to Matthew at the temple. Hey, did you, do you see Brother Benjamin back there? <laughs> He's been coming a couple of days to the temple. We need to make sure we get him in a house. You know, I, I, don't, I think James knows him fairly well, so talk to James. He may have a good suggestion. You think that's what we're all... We, I believe there's a need for small groups. That's why we do them. But you think that's the way they did them? I get, it doesn't say they didn't do them that way, but I seriously doubt it. Do you know what I think? And I, I, this is just what I think. I'm not telling you, thus saith the Lord, and I can't prove it to you. I'm just telling you my perspective on it is, here's what I think that happened. They showed up at the temple, and they're like, hey, I don't think I've seen you here before. We, guess what? When we leave here today, we got, some, we got some believers that are getting together at my house. We would love for you to... We, we're willing to come to the temple, but oh, when we're done with the temple... What would happen if... No guest ever left the service... On a Sunday morning, and there's more times that guests come, but let's just say, what would happen if no guest ever left a service on a Sunday morning without somebody saying, hey, it's so good to have you today. Hey, you got any plans today? You, you, you got any plans for lunch today? You, we're, 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 going our, our, we're going to our house. We're... That's... Let's not, just, let's not just be willing to give the gospel. And let's, let's be willing to give ourselves. And hear me, please. This, this tonight is not a rebuke because I, I sincerely believe that, that on a whole, that, that there is a level at which we are living this and that there are a lot of individuals here and that are a part of this congregation that may not be here tonight, that, 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 that you are living this to some level, but, but, but we can't have any limitations on it. We can't just be content. We're, we're spreading the gospel. We're spreading the gospel. Yeah, but are you giving of your life? Are you laying down your life? There have been several times now, and I pray that it continues to develop and grow, but, but for years we have, and we still have, if, if somebody's sick, if somebody's in the hospital, or somebody has had a baby, or something else going on, major situation, we, 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 I guess we're still using meal train, or we've used meal train, and, and people go on there and sign up, and, and that's, that's great, there, there, I think there's still a place for that to a degree, but also what's happened sometimes, and hopefully it'll keep happening, is that more and more within, within a group, within an oikos, 
people are starting to do that and organically. We, we have to, I, I believe we have to, we have to organize so much because the things that should just be organically happening aren't happening, but we need them. You, we absolutely need small groups. We need small group ministry. It's an absolute necessity, but it should not have to be some kind of, uh, of, of, of robotically organized thing. And if we're willing to not just give the gospel, but we're willing to give our lives, that's how I believe those things happen more organically is when we are freely giving. I've included this. Barnes Nose says, just for all of you that want to, you know, well, let's go sell everything and share everything, Pastor. There There was a little bit... Unique circumstances there. There was a bunch of people that had come from a bunch of different places for the feast and decided to follow Jesus. And But the bottom line is this. We, th- th- there's no other place or scripture where it tells you everybody needs to go sell everything and bring it to the... Bottom line is, the, one example is even while every... Even while a bunch of people were selling everything they had and giving it to the church or giving it to the, to the body, to those in need, Ananias comes, gets struck down, not because he didn't sell everything, because he lied. He wasn't punished because he only gave a portion of the proceeds from the sale of his property, he was punished because he lied to the Holy Ghost. I believe there is a there is a place that we can reach that yeah we, we still got our own stuff and we we still own our own houses and we still got our own cars but there is an attitude there is a spirit that says when somebody is in need if there's a if there's a member of the body that's in need I'm willing if I'm able to to lay down my life Years ago, I read a book. It was called The Connecting Church. The author's name was Randy Frazee. He said this. The first Christians understood that a decision to follow Christ also included a decision to make the church the hub of their world. Even when it required abandonment of existing social structures. Yale University professor Wayne Meeks makes the point based on his meticulous research of the early church to be baptized into Jesus Christ signaled to Pauline converts an extraordinary thoroughgoing re-socialization in which the sect that was intended to become virtually the primary group of its members supplanting all other loyalties. I, I, I've heard in, maybe in a in, in his ministry, but I think in some times at least more personal conversation settings. I've, I've heard Brother Mike McGurk talk about the fact that at, at how many years old was that again when camp, when you had your turnaround, 17? 17 years old when, when he, he had a, uh, not on the same level as a, as a Paul conversion, but he had a pretty dramatic conversion. And the need to, to change connections 
to get relationships in place that were going to help him move in the right direction. What, when, when God called Abraham, what was the first or one of the first? I think it was the first, but what was one of the first instructions God gave Abraham? Leave where you are. That was family. Now, I, I, I think in a salvation context, people should not abandon those they've had connections with because we want to see them saved. They want to see them saved. But there's got to be an establishing of new relationships that are moving in the direction that God's calling you to go. And if that's going to happen, it's got to be with people that are not just sharing the gospel, but they're sharing their lives. I don't remember all the details of the story. I see Brother Nandy and Sister Michelle back there, but several, I think it was maybe last year, met that family, wasn't it? They were broken down, a car, was a car broken down or something, and ended up inviting this whole family to their house and opening their complete strangers. I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm not telling you to bring everybody you meet in your home. I ain't doing it, so I'm not expecting you to. <laughs> We've, there's got to be a willingness. Got to be a willingness. Francis Schaeffer said this, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Wow. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you should because Jesus basically said the same thing. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for, the, for another. The world's not measuring you and I by our tongue talking. The world's not measuring you and I by our worship. And again, he didn't say the way you, they'll know you're my disciples is by your love for them. He said they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. They'll, 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 t- they'll judge the sincerity of your Christianity by your relationships and connections with one another. I think, most of, I think most of Christianity, and I use that term very broadly, I think most of Christianity is fine with sharing the gospel. But how good are we with sharing our lives? I'll try to make this the last time I do this, at least while they're here. But I think that's... You could say, in essence, that's what we've seen from the favors the last eight or nine months. Sharing their lives. You all know, you know, they came to us. We, we want to be a part of an oikos. Where can we go to? That's, that's not just sharing the gospel. It's sharing our lives. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for us. 
friend, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. And Paul said, we, we, we treated you as a, as a mother treats her child that she's feeding we, with tenderness, kindness. I was asked, and one of the times I was asked about what I addressed before I started teaching tonight, We don't always know the difference between somebody who's asking out of the wrong motive and who's asking out of the right motive. You don't, according to Scripture, you don't know your own heart. And if you don't know your own heart, there is no way in this world you're always going to accurately judge somebody else's. No way. So I told this individual the other day, I believe as a pastor, and bottom line is just as a, as a Christian, as a saint, my responsibility is, if I'm going to err on one side or the other, I want to err on the side of believing they've got the right motives, even if they don't. I don't want to jump to the conclusion they've got the wrong motive. Because the way we respond to that is much different than we think. I'd rather find out in the end I thought they had the right motive and they didn't than to find out I ran somebody off that had the right motive, but I didn't think they did. And the problem is you can't judge by actions alone. I've, I've used this dozens of times, and I probably will continue. But you read Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. I believe it's at least 170. If I'm not mistaken, it's 100 and, at least 170 out of those verses that make some kind of reference to the Bible, to the Word of God. Precepts, judgments, statutes, commandments, laws, testimonies, etc. Almost every verse in that chapter is some kind of a declaration, reference, statement about the Word of God. And the very last verse. I don't know about you, but I think the very last verse would be like the final exclamation mark and after 175 verses the psalmist says like a lost sheep I've gone astray but I don't forget your commandments you know they're they're we, we use the story of the prodigal son. I'm almost done. We use the story of the prodigal son, and it's a great story. And It's a story of prodigal backsliders coming home, being restored. But if you flip over to Hebrews, in Hebrews it talks about those that neglect the great salvation they've been getting. It's impossible for them to return.
So obviously there's a difference between the prodigal or the psalmist in Psalm 119 and what Hebrews is talking about. The problem is the difference is not something you and I can easily see. It's a heart issue. It's a motive issue. And so again, if I'm going to err on one side or the other, I want to err on the side of believing and hoping the best. Bottom line, according to 1 Corinthians 13, that's what love is. Love believes the best. Love hopes for the best. Love covers. Love doesn't expose. We, we, we've been willing to preach the gospel. But Paul said, we're, we're not just willing to give you the gospel. We're willing to give you our lives. We are living in a world that is more connected than it's ever been and more disconnected than it's ever been. Because you cannot replace authentic, genuine relationship with technology. I, I, I don't, forgive me if you, one of these people, I'm not thinking of anybody off the top of my head, but I just, it, it just, people, shout out to my Facebook fam. If you're in the position that your family is Facebook and the people on Facebook, you're, you're, I've, I really feel sorry for you. I mean that sincerely. And yet, that's a part of the world we're living in. The good news for you and I is that people are more hungry and more desperate than ever for genuine, authentic relationships from people that love God and love each other. You're willing to share the gospel, but are you willing to share your life? Are you willing to look around on a Sunday, not just at a guest, but maybe looking around at somebody that comes all the time and says, hey, what, what you doing today? Join us, for, join us for lunch. I, I told you already, I'm a, I'm a person that loves my routine. So I'm not preaching at you tonight. I'm preaching to the guy that's preaching to I, I, I think we're moving in that direction. But let's not get content where we are. Let's not, let's not plateau with where we are. It's actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's two different situations that I've heard of in the last couple of months where some of our deacons, small group leaders, they've noticed some folks that have come a couple times 
They didn't wait on Brother Isaac to come and say, hey, we, we want to assign these people to your group. They need a group. But they saw them and they reached out. That's, that's, that's sharing the gospel, but that's also sharing your life. And we've got to, we've, I, I, I know the world's always been broken, but I'm, it's more brokener than ever. They all missed my poor grammar there. I was trying to. I at least need an intentional grammar messed up to make up for the unintentional ones. I realize not everybody's in this situation for various reasons, but some of you, you, you don't understand the amazing gift you could give. I think a high percentage. I don't know. I. Uh, we had a couple of our young adult deacons here tonight. I, I, I would venture to say a very significant percentage of our young adults that are connected and getting connected are coming from very dysfunctional families. Imagine the gift you could give of inviting one of them to come sit at your table with a mom and a dad and some kids. Well, you... It can get crazy. Yeah. So what? Or, or, or here, maybe, maybe this. Well, well, I'm not a young adult leader. Exactly. Are you willing to just give your life? You willing to lay down your life? I'm going to say this as I quit and I'm going to pray again this tonight is please hear me this this is not intended to be a rebuke tonight it's a it's a challenge because I truly believe we're we're moving in a good direction several times in the last couple of years people have said to my wife and I our word is filtered back about people that have they, 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 they picked up, they've, they've commented on the, the family atmosphere, the family dynamic of this congregation. I'm not, I don't mean the individual family, I'm talking about that, that's so encouraging because that's what we're striving for. I've said this before, they're, they're all grown up now, but even now though, even my married kids refer to some people in this congregation as aunt and uncle. And the bottom line, at least from my perspective, they don't do that just as a simple in term, just as a simple term of endearment. There is that kind of connection and bond. That, that's what. But the reason that's there and the reason we can have that is because people aren't just sharing the gospel. They're giving themselves. Father. I thank you for all that you've done, and I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, in, in your word, speaking of us individually, it says it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when you appear, we will be like you. I, I think we could apply that, Lord, on a, on, a, on a broader context of us as a congregation. We're, we're not everything we're going to be. We're not everything we're supposed to be, but your spirit is working and shaping and molding us. But So I, I pray tonight, Father, 
Lord, that we would not be a, a group of people that are willing, more than willing, to share the gospel. But there's, there's, in a lot of ways, there's a very minimal cost to just sharing the gospel. But it's, it's when we are sharing ourselves. It's when we're willing to give of ourselves without reservation, without without restriction, without boundaries that we've set up just to preserve things that we've, we want to hold on to. That's when, we, that's when we begin to really experience some things that you intended for us to be and to have as, a, as your body. So I pray that you would help us. Help us to be willing to say, as Paul said, Lord, that we're willing to spend, we're willing to give of ourselves, but more than just what we're willing to do, we're willing for you to spend us. We're willing for you to use us in whatever degree, whatever way you choose, whether that's a, a high-profile position where others recognize us, or if that's, if that's being like one of those lesser-known apostles, but the importance, the significance of the work and who we are is no less important. Help us tonight, Father. Help us, help us to be like that book of Acts church that we're willing to share and we're willing to contribute to the well-being of each other spiritually, naturally, Lord. Let this be a place that when the world looks at us and wants to judge us that they can see genuine connections and relationships amongst us that validate, ultimately, Lord, not that validate us, but that validate you. They validate us being a reflection of you, of who you are. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing most of you, hopefully, on Sunday. Some of you will be in other places, but forward to seeing you on Sunday in Jesus name.